I want you guys to picture with me for just a second that we are at the Last Supper with Jesus Christ and his apostles in the upper room. Judas has already gone to betray Jesus. And Jesus says, I am leaving you guys. And where I'm going, you cannot go right now. You will come afterwards, but right now you can't go with me. And then Peter, being Peter, says, no, 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 Jesus, I'm going to go with you no matter where you go. I will be by your side no matter what. And Jesus looks at Peter straight in the eyes and says, tonight, tonight you will betray me three times, Peter. And then Jesus turns and looks at his 11 apostles and he says this in John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Now I want you guys, for just a second, turn to the person to the right of you. Turn to the person to the left. And if you can, just look around all the building, all the people that are here in the sanctuary right now, just, just for a second. Okay. Every single person in this room, the person to the right, the person to the left, every single person in this building, every single person in Laredo, every single person in the world one day will die. And I know we don't like to talk about death or think about death, but the last time I checked, the death rate was at 100%. As a matter of fact, did you know that worldwide, three people die every single second, which translates to 180 people every single minute. 11,000 people die every single hour in the world. Over 250,000 people worldwide die every day. Every single day. 250,000 people die worldwide and every single day those people either go to heaven or they go to hell. And one day, the person to your right, the person to your left, every single one of us will either go to heaven or we go to hell. And archaeologists have studied that every single culture in the world has a belief, has a teaching, has some sort of understanding of what the afterlife is going to be. And today we begin our series that we've entitled The Afterlife. And we're going to look at biblically. We're going to see clearly from, script, from Scripture what all of us can expect in the afterlife. And what I want to do is, is clear up some misconceptions about heaven, about hell. But there's a lot of misconceptions about heaven. For example, church, when someone dies who's trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior and they go to heaven, they're not going to be surrounded by a bunch of chubby angels floating on clouds, wearing diapers, playing harps. That is not true. Church, heaven is not going to be this long, eternal church service. 
Some of you can't even handle an hour. Imagine eternity. We're not just going to be worshiping in heaven. We're going to do a lot of worship. Man, we're going to see that. But that's not all we're going to do. There's going to be more in the afterlife. Some might be shocked with what I'm about to say. But when someone dies and goes to heaven, they do not become angels. Angels were created way before man ever was. Angels are created. There's no more angels. But most of all, my prayer, my desire, that through this series, we get an accurate perspective of heaven so we can long for heaven. See, when we long for heaven and we want to be in heaven, it changes the way we live here on earth now. See, most of us have this perspective of living for things now, for things that are going to perish. And we need to change our view and live for heaven. And this is why Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, if you're a believer, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, he says, on things that are above, not on things that are here on this earth. They're not going to be able to take with you. They're going to perish. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul is commanding all believers, you and me, to set our eyes on heaven. See, church, to long for heaven is to long to be with Christ. And to long for Christ is to long to be in heaven. And that's my prayer. And I hope we get that understanding throughout this series. Because this is not our permanent residence. The author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews eleven sixteen, But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And I love what C.S. Lewis writes about heaven. Listen to what he says. Most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all, except in so, for as heaven means meeting again our friends who have died. One reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. And another reason is that when the real one for heaven is present in us, we do not recognize it. I believe heaven and hell are not taught enough. And Satan is happy. Satan would love for us to believe that heaven is going to be boring. Satan would love for us to believe that everything we need to live is for the now. You have your best life now. And Satan loves, loves, loves that the truth is not being preached enough. So that is my prayer in this series. That we understand the truth biblically of the afterlife. So before I get started, I want to bring up a diagram. I'll be using quite often this diagram. And I'm going to bring it up today and throughout this series. But here's... A big picture of what happens. We have three states of man in theology. The first state of man is from birth to death. 
We all are born, and one day we're all going to die. The second state of man is called the intermediate state. It's from death to resurrection. I'll explain what resurrection means in a little bit. The intermediate heaven, and there's an intermediate hell known as Sheol and Hades. It's the same thing. Sheol is in Hebrew. Hades is in Greek. That's the second state of man. Then there's this third state of man. It's the resurrection into eternity. What am I saying? If someone would die today, they go to an intermediate heaven, a present heaven, if they trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If they did not and they were to die today, they would go into an intermediate hell, Sheol, Hades. Let me draw another picture for you to get a better understanding. If someone were to die today, they would go to an intermediate heaven, not the final New heaven and the new earth. Not the final destination. For example, let's say you bought a ticket to go to heaven here on earth, which is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where the Steelers play, okay? <laughs> so you got your ticket to go see the Steelers. That's your permanent, eternal hope, being with the Steelers. But before you get to go to Pittsburgh, you have to stop off in Houston, the intermediate heaven. And there you're going to see other people that have died before you. They're hanging out in Houston. You get to see them, hang out with them. And then one day when Christ returns, we get to go with him to Pittsburgh and be with them forever and ever and ever. Those are for believers. Now for those that have not trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior here on earth, they go to an intermediate Sheol, a hell. They too have a layover in San Antonio. And then eventually they'll go to Dallas to be with the Cowboys in eternity in hell and torture forever and ever. I think that that draws a pretty good picture of what I'm trying to say. The heaven that is now is not the heaven that will be for eternity. The hell that is now is not the lake of fire, the hell that will be for eternity. We're going to cover all that in this series. But today, today what I want to cover is what happens when someone dies today? What happens when someone dies today? The intermediate state of man, the second state of man. The first thing is that the soul temporarily is separated from the body. Our soul is temporarily separated from our physical body. And Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. What am I saying? What is Paul telling us? Church, we're not going to have this bodies forever. Can I get an Amen. This is not what we're going to step into eternity with. One day in, his, in, in the Christ's resurrection, in our resurrection, when he returns, our physical body will be a new body. We are separated, and this body stays here and it decays, but our new glorified body will be together with the soul, and then we will step into eternity where our glorified bodies, we will have our glorified bodies forever and ever and ever. We'll talk about that in the third week of this series. Paul also writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. I feel that every single day. 
Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparisons. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Why? For the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's go back to the diagram to explain what I just said and what we just read. Someone dies today, their soul is separated, and they're into the intermediate heaven or the intermediate hell. One day, Christ will return, and we are going to return with him. At this point here, at the return of Christ, our bodies will be resurrected, a glorified state, our glorified body. We will now come together, spirit and body, and then we go into the new heaven and the new earth, the eternal state. Let me share something else in this diagram as well. One day, Jesus is going to rapture his church believers. We're going to be raptured. Those that have trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. We're going to be raptured into the intermediate heaven and we'll come down with him when he returns. Glorified bodies. And then Jesus is going to rule for a thousand years. We read in Revelation. We'll cover this in week three. We read that the enemy devils bound up for a thousand years. We will rule with him. And then, and then after that, we go into the eternal state. The new heaven and the new earth for believers. Or they go into the lake of fire for torture forever and ever for non-believers. Now, those non-believers that are not raptured, they will stay here. And then what will happen after the church is raptured is called tribulation. There's seven years of tribulation. The first three and a half years of tribulation, horrible. The second half, the next three and a half years of tribulation, even worse than the first half. And when Christ returns, we will go into eternity. Believers... With hope, non-believers, no hope. Let me mention one more thing before we go on. In the book I read, it's a really good book called Imagine Heaven by John Burke. It's an interesting book. And what he does, he, he interviews many people who've had near-death experiences. And he, he records what they saw based on what biblically we see. It's a good book. And here's what he says. He says this. He surveyed 1,500 people with near-death experiences and 75.4% of those people interviewed had a separation from their physical body. They had an out-of-body experience. So what happens? The soul is temporarily separated from the body. And then, this is so important, the soul is immediately, immediately enters into the intermediate state. Right away to the present heaven for believers or to the present hell for the non-believers. Two very important things that I need to say here. Really important. Listen up. There are only two destinations when we die. There's either heaven or hell. That's it. There are no second chances. No second chances. There's no such thing as purgatory, church. I'm going to get into detail in a little bit. But there's no such thing as purgatory. The other thing I want to mention here is this. There's no such thing as soul sleeping. There isn't. 
The moment one, somebody dies, their soul goes immediately into heaven or immediately into hell, the temporary states, immediately. There's no soul sleeping. What is soul sleeping? Soul sleeping is a belief that your soul goes unconscious. Your soul is asleep until Christ returns and we get our glorified bodies. And there's no such thing. One commentary puts it this way. This is not the sleep of the soul. It is rather the sleep of the body in the earth until it is resurrected. Changed into a glorious body and reunited with the soul. When the Bible speaks about sleep, it's in the sense of death. The body. It's never mentioned in the sense of the soul. The soul never sleeps. And Paul knows this. He knew this. This is why he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. He wanted to be with Christ immediately. This is what he says. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are out, we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He also says in Philippians 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain, he says. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. Which one's better? I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire, he says, is to depart from my soul and to be with Christ. For that is way, 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 way better is what he's saying. Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross, he turns to the thief next to him. And we read this in Luke 23, verse 43. He says, truly, truly I say to you, after your soul goes to sleep for a little bit or when you're resurrected again, when I come back, then you will be with me in paradise. No, truly, truly I say to you, today, today you will be with me in paradise. And then we read. In Luke 16, in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, he says this. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. This is a place where the righteous would go, Abraham's side. But I love what we just read. He was ushered. I like to believe that when we die, when believers die, that our soul is carried into heaven by angels. Verse 22b, the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, in Sheol, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. We read that Lazarus enters into Abraham's sight immediately, and the rich man enters into torture immediately. So important to understand. There are no second chances. And we immediately, our soul does, enters into the present heaven or the present hell. So our soul is temporarily separated from the body. The soul immediately enters into the intermediate state. And this is also what happens. We face the judgment of faith. It's not the final judgment. It's the judgment of faith. In the afterlife, we have two 
judgments. The first one is the judgment of faith. Those that have put their trust in Jesus Christ on this earth will enter into heaven for eternal blessings, eternal hope. Those that did not in this life will enter into eternal torture, eternal hell. When Christ returns, we will have what's called the final judgment. For believers, those that have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it's called the Bema Seat, the Mercy Seat. At which point, the believer will get eternal rewards for how they lived here on earth. They will get eternal blessings, rewards in eternity. For non-believers, for those that have not put their trust in Jesus Christ in this earth, it's called the White Throne of Christ. At which point... The final judgment, they enter into eternal torture. Let me show you in the diagram what I'm just talking about right now. So when Christ returns, right here, get our glorified bodies, reign a thousand years, right here is the final judgment. Believers get the rewards into eternity in heaven. Non-believers go into torture for eternity in hell. That's the final judgment. The judgment of faith is right here when we die. With, if we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we enter eternity. We have hope with him. If we have not, we go into eternal torture. Church, when a believer dies, they do have eternal hope. And that's why Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Now Paul uses this term asleep as a euphemism. He is saying for those that have died, there is no soul sleep. That you may not grieve as others do, have no hope. Paul is saying it's okay to be sad. You can grieve for the loved ones. But if they trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, they have hope. But don't be grieving. Don't be sad like those that have no hope. That didn't trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died before us. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, we who are, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in, in the air, and so we will always, always be with the Lord. That's our hope. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the rapture that I was talking about. Let me put the diagram back up just to tell you what we just read. The church one day will be raptured. All believers. And what Paul is writing about is about the rapture. We will be caught up with the Lord. All believers. His church, his bride will meet him up in the sky. And we will be with him forever and ever and ever. That is our hope. Those that trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in this life have hope in the afterlife. Those that do not or have not trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in this life have no hope. There are no second chances. Again, there is no such thing as purgatory. 
for some of you that may not know what purgatory is, it's a, it's a belief, it's a teaching where our souls get purified before we go into heaven. Let me just make three comments about this. First of all, the notion, the idea of purgatory first comes out in ancient writings from a man named Plato. And then you can find other writings from other pagan writers. The Roman Catholic Church, don't send me emails. I'm not dogging the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church bases this doctrine, the doctrine of purgatory, on a book of the Bible that's not even the Bible. It's called Second Maccabees. It's not canonized. But then the Roman Catholic Church also teaches this teaching, false teaching of purgatory in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. They say that that's purgatory and it's not. We're going to clearly see the third week what this verse is about. This verse is about eternal rewards. It's got nothing to do with the purification of our souls. You know what's true and sad. But those that teach purgatory... Those that believe in purgatory, what they are ultimately saying is that Jesus' sacrifice was not enough. And so we need to be purified somewhere before we can enter into eternity. That's what we're saying. That's what the, the doctrine of purgatory is teaching. And church, you know what the truth teaches? You know what the Bible teaches? That when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he said it was done, it was done. No more purification needed to be done. The forgiveness of our sins was done. The debt that we owed because of our sins was paid for once and for all by Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, this is what he says. And, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once... To bear the sins of many will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. His sacrifice was sufficient once and for all. And you know what his sacrifice did? It purified us to himself. Paul writes in, second, in Titus chapter 2 verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down, representing that it was done. When someone sits down, the job is done. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There are no second chances. There is no purgatory. That's the one thing I need to mention. The second thing, listen church. The second thing is that not everyone is going to heaven. Not everyone is going to heaven. In this book, Heaven, by Randy Alcorn, this book I highly, highly recommend. Heaven. Randy Alcorn. Here's what he writes. He says this. For every American who believes they are going to hell, there are 120 who believe are going to heaven. Most people believe that they're going to heaven. How do I know this? 
I've never been to a funeral where a person says of the person that just died, Ooh, I hope they're in heaven. I don't really know if they made it. What do we hear all the time? Well, at least they're in a better place. Are they? Are they? I know one day we'll see them again. I hope if you're going to heaven, because I don't think you want to see them if they're in hell. But we believe that. We've bought into that lie. And here's the truth. Heaven is not our default destination. Hell is. Every single one of us is destined to hell. Because of the fall, we are destined to hell. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy. It's so easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. A lot. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. We embrace what's called universalism. That everybody somehow eventually ends up in heaven. And that's not true. And then some teachings out there say that hell doesn't even exist. There are books that are written that say hell is just an imagination. And did you know that Jesus speaks more about hell than anyone else in the Bible? Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in, where? In hell. Matthew 13, verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for eternity. Mark 9 verse 43. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Do something drastic is what Jesus is saying. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. To the unquenchable fire. Church, hell is real. And many, it saddens me, but many are going. Hell needs to be taught more because it's real. All of mankind, again, was destined to hell. But we believe that all roads lead to heaven. But the truth is this, church. Not all roads lead to heaven. Only one does. Capital O, capital N, capital E. Go back with me to the Last Supper for a minute. Jesus is there, the upper room. He looks at his 11 apostles and he says this, John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go, he says, and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. At which point I think the apostles are looking at themselves saying, Oof, I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. Peter should know. Peter knows everything, right? Peter, do you know? And Peter's like, I don't know. 
The apostles say, well, say something, Peter. You're the one that always speaks up. And Peter doesn't ask, doesn't say a word, but Thomas does. Thomas speaks up and says this in verse 5. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How, how can we know the way? And the apostles were like, whoo, thank you, Thomas. Thanks for asking. You know, we should be thankful that Thomas asked that question because Jesus responded in the very next verse, verse 6. I am the way, he says. I am the truth and I am the life. There is no one who will come to the Father except through me. That is the truth, church. Not all roads lead to heaven, only one does. Jesus Christ is the only way. When we put our trust in him that he lived a perfect life, that he hung on the cross and he rose again on the third day, when we believe in our heart that that was sufficient for us, for the penalty of our sins, then he is the way. It's not religion. It's not trying to be good enough. We are saved by grace unmerited, undeserved love that comes from God through faith. Faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The only way is Jesus. And Paul shares about the gospel, this truth, this great news. He says this very clearly, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless... Unless you didn't believe, unless you believed in vain. Here's the gospel, church. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Bible, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the good news. I asked you also in the beginning to look to the person to the left of you and to the right and to look all around. Now I'm going to ask you, how confident, how confident are you that the person to the right of you, that the person to the left of you, that the people in this sanctuary, how confident are you that when they die, they would be in heaven? How confident are you that when you die, you will be in heaven? 250,000 people are dying daily, church. And the majority of them are going to hell. There is an urgency that we need to preach the gospel. There are family members, maybe your mom, your dad, your siblings that don't understand the gospel and they're destined to hell. Maybe your children, your co-workers, your neighbors. We need to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's my challenge for you this week. Maybe if you can today, I would pray you do it today because there is an urgency. 250,000 people dying every day. That seems urgent to me. Share the gospel. Share the good news. Tell them about what Jesus did for you and for me and anyone who puts their trust in the sacrifice. Tell them. That's my challenge to you. Now, if you're sitting here today and don't understand what I'm talking about, don't understand or haven't realized the gospel, I challenge you to ask. Ask me. There's going to be deacons up here in a little bit. Ask them. Ask anybody here in your Grace family, and they'll be more than happy to share the good news of Jesus Christ. There's an urgency, church, to preach the truth. And that's why we are here. The Great Commission.
of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you. I thank you that even though we are all destined to hell at one point, you sent a redeemer to save us, your son. So, Father, I pray that we share that news, the great news, the gospel of what your son did for, for us at the cross so that others may be saved. Because your son says himself that only a few are going through the narrow gate. Let us be a church that puts that above anything else, sharing the gospel. And Father, I pray that those that haven't understand what the gospel really means, that they mustered up the courage to ask. It is urgent. Hell is real. And Father, you want, you want us to share so that those people can be in heaven in eternity. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Church, next week we're going to cover what's happening now in the intermediate heaven, in the intermediate hell. You're not going to want to miss it. Invite your friends. Bless you guys. I love you all.